inside black and gold. I am Jeff Nowak. He is Steve Geller. We are going to be talking about the Saints' new offensive coordinator, Clint Kubiak. And he's the deal is done, at the very least. We know that. Um, that was reported shortly after the Super Bowl. You know, it, we only got yeah. like hours past the Super Bowl before this deal was done, in case you were wondering how antsy the Saints were to get it done. I did wonder if maybe they'd wait out Fat Tuesday, but they did not. Um, they still have not announced it yet as of the time we're recording this. So there's a chance that they announce it this afternoon. We're recording this on Wednesday around noon. So if that happens, great. Uh, it's not going to change much either way. But the Saints are bringing in a Kubiak. And one of the interesting things to me about Clint is, you know, you 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 look at a coach and you're like, oh, we're so excited to bring this guy in. It's a guy who has, he's going to be on his fourth team in four seasons. And you look at that and you're like, wow, what's he doing to piss these teams off? <laughs> like leaving. And it is interesting because you, you're on the Vikings in 2021. You're the offensive coordinator. Mike Zimmer gets fired. So that's not, you know, you, you can say like, well, the, if the offense was better, maybe the coach would have kept his job. But at the same time, it's like, it, I would look at that differently if, Clint got fired and and Mike Zimmer kept his job, right? Like if right. Clint beat Carmichael in this this Saints scenario where you fired the OC and you're like, we have a problem here, we're going to fix it. That's not what happened there. He goes out to Denver as the you know as the quarterbacks coach for for Russell Wilson, right? He's also the passing game coordinator. That that Nathaniel Hackett tenure goes terribly. Yeah. Um, he actually took over play calling duties at some point in that season. It's tough to know exactly when. Um, so he was in charge of that offense and the offense did look better as the season went on. So we should get a little credit for that. Um, but it is weird. You don't typically see your quarterbacks coach slash passing game coordinator calling plays and the offensive coordinator not calling plays. So that was kind of a weird one. Obviously, that whole staff gets fired. He's part of that. Sean Payton goes in. Sean Payton wasn't going to retain Clint Kubiak. Um, so he goes out to San Francisco. Now, Things didn't go poorly there. In fact, they went very well. He's the passing game coordinator, passing game specialist, whatever. So then he gets plucked away. So it is an interesting scenario where you're talking about a guy who's going to be on his fourth team in four seasons, but at the you can look at it and say he wasn't fired from any of those jobs. He was just in the culling of two entire staffs and then got plucked out of a third staff. And the, what I will say positively for him is he was in Minnesota for two seasons prior to becoming the offensive coordinator. So he did right. stick there and he was brought back to the Vikings after serving as offensive quality control coach in 2013, 2014. So a majority of his coaching career to this point was with the Vikings. So I do feel a little better about it knowing that's like, okay, yeah, he was an integral part of Mike Zimmer's staff for multiple seasons. It's not like he's, you know, he's the reason that all of these staffs are falling apart. Yeah. When you look at it, you know, I guess you could say he does have play calling experience, but obviously it's not that grandioso. But I don't think the Saints had any real candidates what the, out of the 11 or 12 that had a ton of play calling experience that they interviewed. I mean, no, you, you had a few, you know, uh, Luke Getze was one of the candidates. He was the offensive coordinator for the Bears the last <laughs> two seasons. Well, I mean, you're just saying play calling experience. No, I hear you, you right. Know? I mean, he like Clint Kubiak calling plays for the Broncos in 2022 wasn't exactly a dream come true, right? So, but we're talking about experience as experience. Now, Mike yeah. Sullivan was also a play caller previously. He called plays for the Giants, and then he called plays for the Steelers this past season after Matt Canada got fired. 
So he was another one. There was at least one more that had some play calling experience. But yeah, you ended up going with Clint Kubiak. And I feel good about it. You know, Clint, is he's just an interesting guy. He's 36 years old, so he's younger, which is, I think, a good thing. I think it's, if you're trying to rebuild your offense, you're trying to modernize things, I do want to go with somebody younger, right? Like, I, he's he's not younger than Derek Carr, which is <laughs> the Kelfoy. He is his senior by a few years. Um, but he's he's a young guy that's also been in the league for a while. He's got 10 years of coaching experience in the NFL. He also spent time as a wide receivers coach at Kansas for a season. You know, so this is a guy who's been around the game. He's been on coaching staffs forever. Plus his dad, like you mentioned earlier. And he's a, it's a football family, right? So he's green in that sense. And I think that's a good thing. So you were able to kind of thread that needle of getting a young guy in the room that also has a lot of coaching experience and has been on several different staffs as you know, I think, be going around the block on the NFL and know, and just kind of getting the idea of how all of these teams operate and being able to kind of pluck what works and what, and, you know, erase what didn't work. And uh, I think that learning experience is valuable. So I feel good about that. One of the interesting things um, for Clint and, and this is not unique to him, but it is, I don't want to say rare, but it's, you know, typically when you get into coaching, you get into coaching on the side of the ball that you played. You know, D.A. actually, he did spend some time on the offensive side of the ball, but he was a safety at Texas A&M, and he ended up going back and coaching the secondary, coaching the defense, becoming a defensive coordinator. Now he's a head coach. Clint also played safety in college at Colorado State. Clint thought he was going to be, you know, his goal was to play professionally. It didn't really work out for him, and he got into coaching. He went back to Texas A&M, where he's from Houston, and, uh, you know, got into the coaching ranks and kind of worked his way up, but immediately went to the offensive side of the ball. And I am, I'm interested to ask him when he, you know, whenever we inevitably talk to Clint for the first time, how that happened, because it is interesting, right? Like you play defense and then you, you start, you know, coaching wide receivers. And I, I do feel like that's a unique perspective. And I almost wonder if that helped him kind of, uh, get on the right side of things with Dennis Allen, because they both played safety. So they kind of speak the same language in that way. But I do like the idea of having your offensive coordinator coming up on the defensive side of the ball uh, and and knowing both sides, uh, you know, because I think that's part of it. It's like you can call a perfect play, but you also have to understand what the defense is doing. And you have to be able to lead your quarterback in understanding what the defense is doing. And And I'm hopeful that he'll be able to do that. What's also interesting with the whole thing, obviously, uh, Dennis Allen went to Texas A&M. Kubiak started his coaching career over at Texas A&M. Like you mentioned, he didn't go to college there, but he did start his coaching career there. So there's a little bit of that Aggie connection. Yeah, and Gary was a wide receiver or running backs coach at A&M when Dennis right. Allen was a player. So it all kind of links. I am curious to hear whether, you know, D.A. met Clint when he was, you know, what, four or five years old? Because that was like 1992. So he would have been, I don't know, uh, four or five at that point. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so it was like, I knew you when you were a baby. I'm I'm wondering too, is Clint going to bring Clay Kubiak with him from the 49ers? <laughs> That's a good question. There's also uh, Klein Kubiak, who is an area yeah. scout for the Cowboys. So we, we you know, it, it's, it's well, funny because Darren and David Carr have the same kind of naming convention of going with the same letter for all three kids. And now they're, they're kind of, there's this connection and they can debate who made announcers more frustrated throughout their throughout their careers. It's almost as bad as that time I saw Alan Ray trying to defend Ray Allen in an NBA game. And, and that must have been, that must have been a nightmare to call. Uh, 
But no, so, you know, we're gonna, going back to the Vikings a little bit. You know, one thing about Clint Kubiak, he's an opening statement guy. I don't know if anyone cares. It's, okay. I care because <laughs> he's the type of, you know, you know what I mean? You don't understand what I'm saying? Right. Doesn't just walk up to the mic. Okay, go ahead. Firehead. Yeah, well, so like Pete Carmichael and uh, Joe Woods throughout the season, it would always be like, all right, go fire away is the one they would say. And it was always ironic because I was like, that's probably what's going to happen, Pete, but that's fine. We're going to talk about that down the road. But yeah, Clint is the type of guy who will walk up and he'll be like, oh, we're a great week of practice, blah, blah, blah. You know, it was very, it's kind of a head coach vibe, right? Like I, yeah. I very much can see Clint being a head coach in at some point. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to take over for DA. Don't take my comments and be like, oh, it's only that's a matter bad. of time. I, but I do think that, you know, if things go well in New Orleans, he will end up on a short list like Dave Canales to go somewhere and be a head coach. So just take that for what it is. Um, but, you know, it, you, you go back and you look at and so the Vikings, that was his first time calling plays. And it was interesting. You know, I, I went back and watched a bunch of Clint Kubiak interviews and uh, things went well to start. They really fell off at the end of the 2021 season. And I think that played a pretty big role in in how you end up getting fired. It's funny because that season went very similarly to how the Saints season went this year. They were five and seven. They won a game. It, you know, they won a couple games to get to seven and seven. Then they lost to the Rams in week 16. That actually happened in 2021 to the Vikings. They lost to the Rams in week 16, just like the Saints did this year. So they they were five and seven. They won two games to get to seven and seven. And then they lost to the Rams to go to seven and eight. And then that was the year the Rams won the Super Bowl. So it was a very good Rams team that year, obviously. Uh, then the next week, you know, and, and it's funny because like, okay, how does a head coach get fired in that scenario? The Vikings went eight and nine that season. It wasn't a nightmare season. But how did they get there? Well, in week 17, they go face the Packers and get blown out. Uh, Sean Mannion was the quarterback. I think Kirk Cousins got wow. hurt. Um, and so you give him a little credit there. But like... That's how, you know, this season, if that had gone that way, if the Saints had gone out to Tampa and got blown out like 36-17 or whatever the score would have been, I think DA gets fired. I think that's, the, you know, that's the trigger, right? That, like I, you could very, see a very easy scenario where if the season ended the way the Vikings did, which is get blown out by, the, by a division rival in week 17, then go beat a division rival in week 18 after you're already eliminated from the postseason. That's a very different feeling than what the Saints did, which was go out, in a game they had to win to have a chance, beat that division rival, and then come home and beat the, you know, the Falcons. And that's how you went up here. But it was the opposite for the Vikings. And, and that's what happened. But, you know, I, I do think that by that point in the season, maybe some people had figured you out. You know, maybe there were some issues that cropped up. And he talked about in, in earlier in the season, you know, as because he kept getting asked about, okay, it's your first season as the play caller. How, what are kind of your takeaways? What have you learned? And one of the things he talked about was, one of the difficulties in becoming a very good play caller is you can't just be thinking of the play, the next play, the next play. You have to be thinking two, three plays ahead. And Mark Slareth actually talked about this when he was evaluating the Saints-Texans game because he called that game. And one of his criticisms of the Saints offense was it very much felt like there was just it's just somebody calling a play. And then it's like, well, that didn't work. So what's the next play? What's the next play? And there's a difference between doing that and calling an offense, which is, you know, you have an idea of what you're doing. You have plays, you have counters, you have a you have a shot player trying to get to. So how do I set that up? How have how can I break the tendencies that I've already created in this game? Or how can I break the tendencies that I created last game? Like Mike, Kyle Shanahan, one of the things he does as well as anybody is he creates tendencies with the goal of breaking them. 
right? Like he's, he creates his own tendency so that he can break it once he sees teams reacting to it. And that, that's the difference between calling plays and calling an offense. Um, and uh, here's talking prior to that week 18 game, which is, you know, dead man walking, right? Like that oh. coaching staff was about to get fired under the sun, that Mike Zimmer coaching staff. And I thought his answer to this question, which is kind of, you know, looking back on the season as it was reflecting and, you know, what, what are some of your biggest takeaways? One game left. When you look back on your first full year at the Reigns, you know, your dad can tell you so much, you can observe so much, but in it learning, what is maybe the number one lesson that you're like, oh, that's what everyone has told me about, but now I understand it from a different perspective. I'm living through it. I really wish I could give you one thing. I, I wish I wish I could do that, but but I can't. It's it's been a, it's been plenty of things. Um, the main the thing that just sticks out in my mind every day is that it's 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 never a one man operation. It's a it's a team thing. It's a it's the whole offensive staff working together. And I I don't know how anyone would do it without it without a great staff like us. You know, I'm really just really blessed to work with veteran guys that well, we care about each other and we work hard for each other and on game day and throughout the week there's a lot of communication and uh, I've leaned on their experience all year and there's been so much positive things that have happened in games that um, that people have given me credit for that don't belong to me they belong to our to Kennedy Palmo and, and Phil Rauscher and Keenan and Andrew and uh, coach Zimmer and uh, you know there's been pretty negative plenty of negative things that that do belong to me so uh, I just I think it's all about having a cohesive unit cohesive staff and I think when you have that, you can have a lot of success. Yeah, and I think what I need to see from Clint, we're going to talk about this in the next segment a little bit, is 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 what he's saying there to be true, which is, you know, it can't just be a one-man operation on the offensive staff. you got to be able to take input, feedback, and, and work from it. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting is, you know, the Vikings were 32nd in the NFL in RPO passes in 2021. Now you have Kirk Cousins, right? Of course, you're not going to be running a ton of RPO, but they were last. They were dead last. And I did think that was interesting because the Kyle Shanahan scheme, while it's still not going to be heavy in RPOs, it is low. It's down toward the bottom. I think this past season, they were 27th in RPO passes, 28th in RPO runs. Uh, where I was surprised to see was the Vikings were 22nd in play action attempts but they were 13th in yards in play action attempts. That says to me is like, you're not getting to the play action all that often, but you are hitting on it. And I do think, I do wonder, you look at it and you say, okay, well, why aren't you running play action more? If it's this successful element of your offense, why aren't you doing it more? And I just think that's, you know, a, a first year play caller, there's a lot of things that you're going to, it's going to get away from you, right? There's going to be points where it gets away from you. And how do you learn from that and move forward? And we didn't, we haven't really gotten to see that as much as you probably would have liked because he wasn't really a full-time play caller again since being with the Vikings. But, you know, this year, the, the 49ers were 17th in play action. The Vikings under Kevin O'Connell were number one, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. Wow. And that's going to be a major theme of the Saints offense is how do you adjust? How do you get to the play action more? How do you run more? misdirection plays how do you get ahead of yourself without getting ahead of yourself um and and i think one of the major themes of this season is going to be how much has clint learned since the what i would say was largely unsuccessful first time as an offense coordinator and if that answer is quite a bit 
then I think he can have a lot of success here. Yeah, the one thing that concerns me, obviously, folks, I feel a lot of fans or maybe even some analysts are just trying to plug in now. What's Clint Kubiak going to do with the Saints? And it's like, all right, Alvin Kamara can be the McCaffrey and, you know, IU could be uh, Chris Olave and all oh, the Saints need to get a George Kittle. I'm not really sure it works like that. No, I, I mean, it, that's that's why I think it's going to be interesting. And I was on uh, with Tommy Tucker this morning and he asked, like, well, what's the Saints office going to look like? And I'm, I'm going to be honest, I don't know right now. <laughs> because I think everyone's assuming that it's going to be a 49ers clone. And I don't know why that would be, like, I think there's elements of that 49ers offense that you're going to bring over if you're Clint. Yeah. But he spent one year there. <laughs> Right. And so I think you're going to have to, it's going to be an amalgamation of the, of the things Agreed. that were good from all of his offenses. Right. You know, one of the, one of the play designs that I thought was really interesting as I went back and watched some of the Vikings clips is uh, they would actually shift Justin Jefferson into the backfield and have him run like a Texas route, almost like an angle route out of the backfield. And it's like the, and the design wasn't even necessarily to get Justin Jefferson the ball. The design was to open up routes for other people. And you know, that's not a that's not a 49ers thing. He wasn't on the 49ers at that point. So, and, you know, there's going to be Gary Kubiak elements of his offense. There's going to be, you know, I don't know how much the Broncos scam you're going to incorporate. But I do think it's it's an oversimplification to look at it and say, well, the fight, 49ers did this and right. it worked. So that's just going to be what it looks like. Now, I do think you're going to see a lot of things that look similar to the 49ers. You're going to see a lot of condensed formations. You're going to see a lot of wide zones. I do think that, Taysom can be used in a role similar to Kyle Juszczyk. Um, not necessarily to say he's a fullback, but he's. I think you're going to end up seeing Taysom Hill motioned into the backfield a lot more or starting in the backfield and motioning out of the backfield because because I just think he, he creates matchup issues when you do that in ways that no other player on this team probably can other than maybe an Alvin Kamara, but he's obviously going to be in the backfield the majority of the time anyway. Um, but no, I, I just think it, it's funny because we're going to be out there in training camp kind of watching this develop and watching some of the things they're working on. And it's going to look a lot different. And we're going to learn at that point, you know, what are some of the fundamental things they're going to add in this offense? Um, and uh, yeah, that's it's it's a good it's going to be it's like I don't think we anyone has an answer right now. Yeah, that's I why I'm we're... looking forward to talking to Clint. And, like and you said, there's going to be things. obviously some elements, but you can't just assume that the 49ers offense is just going to be replicated here. And it shouldn't be like that. That's what I don't want to see is that like, I want to see a guy who understands why the 49ers do what they do yeah. and, and and who can kind of innovate on that. Right. One of the things about the 49ers offense that most people don't talk about is like, there's no such thing as a Kyle Shanahan scheme. There's a guy who understands how to be at the cutting edge of NFL offense and builds on it and builds on it and builds on it. The 2023 Kyle Shanahan scheme doesn't really look that much like the 2021 Kyle Shanahan scheme. Both worked, but he keeps building on it. And that's what I need to see from Clint. Is not a guy who's going who's gonna to just say, well, this is what my dad did in this situation. So that's what I'm going to do. This is what Kyle did in this situation. So that's what I'm going to do. I need to see someone who understands why they do those things and continues to build on that. Because... Uh, if if you are not someone who can do that, eventually people are going to catch up with you and uh, your stint's not going to last very long. Totally agree there. Yeah, I, I'm interested, obviously, Sue, to see what exactly we're in for come training camp. And, you know, even that's going to be, it's not going to be an exact science of, of what 
uh, was going to happen week one for this for this black and gold club. But at least you get a sense of uh, what's going to be different for this coming season. Uh, I know even even player wise, I've given up trying to forecast what's going to happen in a regular season come training camp. a la like a Jawan Johnson we thought was going to dominate this this past season. Yeah, that was frustrating. Um, <laughs> but all right, let's let's end this segment here. We're going to come back. We're going to keep talking about Clint Kubiak, but I have to let you listen to some ads first. That's what everyone waits all this time for sure. To hear. Yeah, and, you know, and all the the products and services that uh, that bring you this podcast. Um, Ice spice, we go. Yes, yes. <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts might get in there. Who knows? We got, we got, we got plenty. We got plenty. But all right, this is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He is Steve Geller. We're gonna come back. We're gonna talk more about Clint Kubiak. I looked up some some first fifteen numbers because I think that was an issue for the Saints this year. And I do think when you look at Clint, what he's done is a his his success rate in the in the scheduled part. The the uh, what, what what's the word? I'm not the 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 the, the planned part of the offense is uh, much better than what we saw from uh, from Pete Carmichael these past few years. So stick around. We're going to get into it right on the other side of these ads. 